Well, happy Resurrection Sunday. One of the neat things about Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, is that it's the highest attended church service all around the world, and there's good reason for that. It's because it's a celebration of the most important event in human history. It's a celebration of the most significant day that has ever been since the sun started to rise over the earth. This day that we celebrate with Resurrection Sunday is the most important day that has ever been. So that's why everybody gets all excited about Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is because it's the most significant event in history, the most significant event in the plan of God. This past week, is what they call Holy Week. So last Sunday was Palm Sunday, which is the triumphal entry. That's Jesus going into Jerusalem to be proclaimed king. And everybody thought it was going to go a certain way and he'd kick the Romans out and he'd become a normal type king. But he had a different type of kingdom that he was going to establish. And so then Monday, Thursday, that's the, the Last Supper. And it gets its name from the foot washing. That was when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. And so Monday is like a, I don't know if it's Latin for foot washing or something like that, but uh, it has to do with that. And that was that Thursday where they had the last supper. It's where Judas left and betrayed Jesus. And then late that night, they arrested Jesus. And then by Friday, good Friday, nine in the morning, Jesus is on the cross. Talk about a quick trial. And then by three in the afternoon, Jesus is dead. The disciples are distraught. They thought he was coming in to be king and that Caesar would be thrown out of Israel and that they would be a nation again that's proud and strong, but instead their Messiah is murdered. And they were devastated and crushed until there was an empty tomb. And that empty tomb changed everything. God knew the plan from the start, but we're a little slower. And when they saw the empty tomb, it started to click. It took a little while. Jesus had to appear to them and had to go through a process of showing them, hey, this is a big deal, but it changed everything. That's why it's 2018 right now is because Jesus rose from the grave. It's an amazing reality, all the things that have been changed because that tomb was empty. This week, Easter Sunday, we're going to look at three lessons from the resurrection. And so let's pray and we will talk about three lessons from the resurrection. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for your great plan of redemption. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your goodness. Lord, as we look into your word, as we look into the significance of the resurrection, Father, help us to grab hold of it. Help us to see something good. Each one of us needs a touch from you. Each one of us needs to to believe in you a little better, to serve you more effectively, to connect with you. Lord, we all need something different. And so, Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit, you would touch each one of us right now with just what we need so that we can grab hold of your good things. So bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. All three of these lessons are very simple, but they're very profound. And so I challenge you to hear these things for the first time. If you have heard these before, don't just say, oh, yep, yep, knew that one. 
You know, there are things that when they sink in, they have power, but you may already know them. Like, for example, God loves you. Did you already know that? Sure. God loves you. When that sinks in, God knows who you are, knows what you've done, knows what you're going through. He cares and he loves you and he wants to help you. He wants to bring you to a better place. God loves you. When that sinks in, it has power. When we just go, yep, yep, know that, we can miss something powerful and profound. So let's let these three things sink in. Lesson number one from the resurrection. Jesus is who he said he was. One of the great questions that all of us must face is, who do we say Jesus is? There's the classic answers to this question. You know, the the three L's. I've heard people say this for years. There's three options. Who do we say Jesus is? He's either a liar. He was just trying to get a following. And so he was a charlatan. He was a fraud. He's either a liar or he was a lunatic. (laughs) Some people think they're God and they just aren't. They're crazy people, right? So was Jesus a liar Was he a lunatic? The third option, Jesus is Lord. Now let me tell you, liars do not rise from the dead. Lunatics do not rise from the dead. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, and he proved it by rising from the dead. The tomb was empty, and so Jesus actually was who he said he was, and his life did not end on the cross. But he rose again to life indestructible. Jesus is who he said he was. Let's look at Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So he's getting a public opinion poll from his disciples. You've been mixing with the people. Let me know. What's the buzz on the street? Verse 14. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So these aren't the three L's that everybody talks about, you know, liar, lunatic, or Lord. They think he's some uh, reincarnated prophet. You don't hear that very often in our culture. They had different ideas back then. Some thought he was John the Baptist. John had just died not that long ago. I mean, Jesus and John were less than a year apart in age. Were any of these true? John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets? Of course not. Jesus is not some reincarnated holy man from the old days. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, and God the Son. Verse 15. Well, what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, Simon is so great. Like he just jumped out of the boat. You know, he's the one who he either said the right thing or he said the wrong thing, but he's going to be the one saying something right here. He says the right thing later in the chapter. He says the wrong thing, but he got to learn by trial and error. But this was a shining moment in Simon Peter's life. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. So who does Jesus call him? Simon, son of Jonah. His name was Simon. Verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter. 
which means rock. That's what the word Peter means. He renamed him from Simon. He named him rock, like bedrock, like where the foundation hits and is solid. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You are Peter. Peter, the the rock that Jesus builds his church on, his indestructible church that even the gates of hell will not overcome, that rock is the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is who he said he was. The foundation of the church is not Peter. The foundation of the church is the revelation that Jesus is is the Christ. He is the son of God. He is who he said he was. I haven't always known who Jesus was. I've been a skeptic and a doubter, but let me tell you, when the skeptic and the doubter seeks the Lord, God will come to him or her. If you have an open heart before God, keep seeking and you will find. Thomas was a doubter. I believe he had an opportunity that God gave him in a special way, but he missed it. Let's look at John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. So this is after the resurrection. This is, the, this is tonight, the night of Easter Sunday, the, the evening of Resurrection Sunday. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So he commissions them as apostles to go change the world. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the ten were there. Judas was not there. (laughs) Thomas was not there. But Thomas apparently had something else going on. Anyway, he, he wasn't where Judas was. Thomas, one of the twelve, was not there. Verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, Thomas was there When Jesus did miracles, Thomas was there when Jesus taught. Thomas was there the whole time. Thomas was there when Jesus talked about he would be betrayed and he would uh, be killed and he would rise on the third day. Thomas was there for that. And the 10 come to Thomas and say, he's alive. And what is his response? But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. If Thomas, a great man of character, a fantastic, strong man of God, an apostle, if he, having seen all the things he had seen, would doubt on the testimony of 10 of the other 12, Is it possible that some of us in this room might doubt that Jesus is who he said he was as well? If Thomas could doubt, we may have doubts as well. How does this shake out? A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. So did they kick Thomas out of the group? No. He denied the risen Christ. He called them all fools and lunatics and he still belongs. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, 
Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas then knew who Jesus was. Our God is kind to doubters. Our God will show up when we seek. Keep at it. Now there's a blessing here that's described in the next verse that I don't want you to miss. Because it's very unlikely that Jesus is going to come to you uh, when you're in a prayer meeting and say, okay, put your finger. (laughs) It's very unlikely that that's going to happen. And so watch this verse. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What's the blessing in believing without seeing? If we can just go with God without having to wrangle and fight and doubt and be a skeptic and have a negative attitude and think it's baloney and go through all that stuff and have to be drug along by God. If we can just say, yes, Lord, and go, we will get so much farther. I believe Thomas was given an opportunity to be the one who didn't see and yet believed, but he missed it. You can be someone who does not see and yet believes. The first lesson of the resurrection is that Jesus is who he said he was. Lesson number two, death has been conquered. Death has been conquered. We all walk around with that little ticking clock. Do you know what age you are? Do you know how many years you have left? We all walk around with that ticking clock. Oh, I better get it done now before I get too old. Oh, do I have enough saved for retirement? Well, we, we all have this ticking clock. The message of the resurrection is that death has been conquered. Let that sink in for a minute. No wonder people got so excited about this. Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered the grave. And we can get in on that. We can have everlasting life as well. Death has been conquered. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Now, we are perishable. I dislike the aging process. I am involved in it, however. Now, I've personally, I've decided I'm going to live to be 150 years old. Uh, it's not a word from God. It's no, I, I'm aging normally. It's just a personal decision. I'm just going to be 150. All right, we'll see how that works out. But so far, I've aged in the normal process as everyone else. <laughs> and I don't like it, which is why I made that decision. So you can feel the perishableness of your body that as you age, things don't work as well. There's, there's a time limit. We have a shelf life. We're perishable. And it's no fun because our spirit was not meant to live in a perishable body. We were built for eternity. That's why it feels so unnatural. But Jesus has shown that death has been conquered. Let's keep reading. 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Here the Apostle Paul is saying that there will be a generation where when Jesus returns, they'll be raptured up. They won't have to go through death. But even those who have died that are in Christ will be raised to life imperishable. 
For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. We can, as mortal, perishable beings, we can clothe ourselves in immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory over death through Christ. Death has been conquered. So lesson number one, Jesus is who he said he was. He is the son of God and he is God the son. Lesson number two, death has been conquered. Lesson number three, you can choose to have new life and everlasting life in Christ. You can choose that. You can have abundant new life in this world. An everlasting life with Christ in the world to come. That is available to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 56. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. This is where Good Friday comes in. Because the corrupt cannot be clothed in the incorruptible. You know? Some things you just can't wash clean. (laughs) They're just an icky thing that needs to be gotten rid of. We as sinners, we as people who have walked away from, rejected God, who have rejected the ways of God, we are corrupted. And so we need to be born again. We need to be crucified with Christ and brought into new life. The sting of death is sin. When we have sin on us, we are corrupted. But the blood of Christ is sufficient to forgive each one of us all of our sins, that we can be perfectly forgiven, and that we can be clothed with Christ. Let's read Galatians 3, starting in verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. A beautiful picture of baptism. When we're put under water, we're clothed in Christ. We're enveloped in Christ. The perishable is clothed in the imperishable. The mortal is clothed in immortality. This is available to each one of us. That we can put our faith in the living God. We can trust him, walk with him, and this perishable body will have everlasting life. Who does this apply to? There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This means it doesn't matter who you are, Jew or Greek. That means that you can be a fancy religious person who's got a great pedigree, who knew the whole Bible by the time you're eight years old, and you've, you've seen all the great things of God. Or you can be somebody that has zero religious background. You know nothing about God. Doesn't matter. Slave or free. You can be at the bottom of the economic food chain. You can be at the top. Doesn't matter. Male or female. It doesn't matter. We're still in today's culture trying to figure out if girls are okay. Well, back then, the Apostle Paul says doesn't matter. Jesus is sufficient. Male, female, doesn't matter. Slave, free, doesn't matter. Jew, Greek, doesn't matter. Whoever you are, the blood of Christ is sufficient for you. I'm going to ask you to make a choice. 
And that choice is to love the living God, to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to say yes to the Lord. Lord Jesus, you are who you said you were. Lord, death has been conquered and we can have everlasting life. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you subjected yourself to the stripes that bring our healing. We thank you, Lord, that you shed your blood, which brings our forgiveness. We put our faith in you. We put our trust in you. We say, yes, you are Lord. Yes, you are Savior. Yes, you are Deliverer. Yes, you are Rescuer. Yes, you are my Lord. Yes, you are my Savior. Yes, by your stripes I am healed. Yes, by your shed blood I am forgiven. We ask you for the forgiveness and the newness of life that you have paid such a great price for. As we receive communion, Lord, I pray that your hand would be upon us. You would encourage us. You would give us joy knowing that death is conquered, that you are who you said you were, and that we can be with you in paradise.